Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to 21. You guys ready? Verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. All right then. (laughs) Craig said we were going to open a can of worms, right? What do you say we pray? (laughs) Lord, we do thank you. Lord, every single word in this this Bible, Lord, is is written by you. You've told us, Lord, that it's all good for us. It's all uh, good for encouragement, uh, for reproof, for doctrine, all of it. And so, again, we ask that you would bind the work of the enemy who uh, wants to uh, introduce wrong ideas and misconceptions and, and maybe even strengthen misconceptions. Lord, we're asking for all of that, Lord, for you to wipe away and for your, your beauty, Lord, your, your strength uh, to, to show through and that you would help us, Lord, uh, through this, Lord, uh, what, what the world has made a minefield. Lord, um, just help us to, to come out on the other side uh, whole and beautiful in Jesus' name. Amen. So, first thing, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, the first thing you've got to remember, and this is something that if you, if you haven't studied the Bible, really any book, first thing you need to remember is that context is super important, right? You guys have heard the phrase, uh, text without a context is, without its context is a prefect, pretext, right? It becomes an excuse. It becomes something that somebody uses sometimes as a weapon or um, to justify their, their own opinions or behaviors or attitudes. So one of the things I thought we could do starting, by the way, you can pray for me. In, in case this text wasn't mu- as much of a can of worms, I'm also not reading off of my normal uh, sheet. So I'm, I'm actually trying to be a little bit more loosey-goosey and uh, just provide more opportunities for disaster. So uh, one of the things that I thought we could do is, um, again, kind of almost like a town hall meeting or whatever, what are some of the, the ways that people erroneously, that's an important word, erroneously use verse 18? Yeah, you, you on, on, the ball, on the ball there? That they might use verse 18 to justify their attitude or their behavior. Any ideas? Everybody's scared. You're all, you're all as chicken as I am. Yeah, an abusive relationship, basically um, saying that the, the idea, I guess, the general idea is that um, the husband rules over the wife and that he can uh, command her to do things which, which the Lord would never command, right? So that's definitely one uh, awful way that, that this can be used as a pretext. Any other ideas? That women are inferior. That, we, that women in general are, are inferior to men in general. Um, that is a great one. That's, that's actually one of the things that, um, that I wrote down. Uh, the idea that there should be no women leaders anywhere of, of any kind. Um, the, the idea that women in general should, should submit to men. Do you see, first of all, right off the bat, that that's not what verse 18 says at all? Right? You see that it says, wives submit to your own husbands. Okay? So that doesn't mean women submit to men. Okay? Um, any other observations, things that sometimes it can be used as a pretext? Yeah, that women are inferior to men, right? Um, anything else? Just so you know, these are all wrong, right? So we're exactly. Yeah, I think I summed all those up. That was my fault. I I'm squelch, squelching conversation, but yeah, exactly. Anything else? What about this one? Husbands who take this as, as an attitude, they, and they can be Christian husbands and still make the same mistake, is I make the rules and you submit. That's, that's a complete misrepresentation and, and misunderstanding of this uh, verse. Anybody else? What's that? Wow, that's, that's awful that, that that even needs to be said, said out loud, but yeah, some, I guess it's possible that um, because of the justification that somehow men are better than women, that God loves women less or, or not, right? Um, here's one that I, that I had. What about boyfriends who haven't even put a ring on it? <laughs> right? Who look at this verse and go, well, you know, we're, we're, we're living together. I'm not honoring you even to give you any kind of commitment at all, but 
I do, I'm the guy, so that, that's like particularly offensive. Yeah, okay, good. So women taking this and saying, oh, well, I, even though I know God doesn't want me to do this um, because he's my husband, I'll submit to it, right? Um, the, this verse very clearly uh, touches that as well. It says, as fitting as in the Lord, right? You would only submit to uh, direction that, is, that, that the Lord could condone, right? Um, here's another one. Some husbands take this verse as an instruction to them to make their wives submit, <laughs> That verse 18 isn't written to men at all, husbands. It's written to wives. Um, so, good, good. We've got some ideas of how badly this thing can be used as a pretext. So what, what's our answer again? Well, context, right? It's usually the first place they go to, to find out, okay, that isn't saying at all what the world's telling me it's saying or what this jerk over here is telling me it's saying, all right? So let's look at Colossians chapter 3 and read this is just a small context. It actually, there's, I'll give you bigger context in a bit, but look at just the, the immediate context. Chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. The kids are like, oh, you had to bring us into this. And verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So you guys see, just right off the bat, context, Paul and the Holy Spirit is speaking to the whole family, right? He's not just um, picking on wives in particular. But some of you are thinking, yeah, but he only uses the S word with wives. (laughs) Well, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. I think you're going to see that this is a parallel chapter. Ephesians chapter 5, and look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You're not making it better. (laughs) Okay, now back up one verse. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Do you see it? Now, it might might not be explicit in Colossians, but it is explicit in, in Ephesians. God is saying to all the family, pretty much every Christian, Look, the, the, your MO, the way you operate, should be to submit to one another, to yield to one another, right? Matter of fact, back up even a couple more verses. Uh, verse 18.5, we'll say. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. Notice this. But be filled with the Spirit. Now listen to these next verses. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, then there comes that verse, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Anybody here last week? Do those verses sound familiar? It's almost like Paul cut and pasted with papyrus, I guess. Ephesians chapter 5, almost into Colossians. So you can know that Paul's, Paul's thinking that we should be submitting one to another. Now, let's talk about even greater context, okay? We've talked about how the fact that, no, the wives aren't just uh, singled out. But even greater context, how many of you have been with us for the last few weeks? The whole thing that Paul's been doing over and over again is saying, look, we're, you, don't, you don't become a Christian and you don't stay a Christian by following the rules, it's by having a, a living, breathing, working relationship with the ruler, right? The one who can give you instruction day to day, minute by minute, right? And, and what is the thing, to me, it's been really helpful. Uh, we even referenced it in the, in the announcements. What's the thing that we've been noticing is the most helpful to a Christian rather than thinking about checking off the box? What is it? Putting off and putting on, right? Like verse 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, it says, that the Christian, your life isn't about checking off boxes anymore. It's about putting off the old you and putting on the new robes of righteousness. We've been talking about it's kind of like Paul is your tailor, right? He, he knows his stuff. He's really got style down. 
He's your tailor. He's like, now that you're a Christian, you don't want to wear that nasty old junk anymore. You want to wear the new you, the, the, the Jesus that, that can and wants to live through you. Well, maybe the best way to look at these verses, 18, 19, 20, and 21, and actually the, the verses that are following, because next week we open a whole new can of worms with slavery and uh, employers, slavery and masters. But maybe the best way to look at all of these verses is that Paul, the tailor, or the Holy Spirit, your tailor, he's been kind of talking to everybody, but now he's like, okay, um, I'm gonna be in my office here and I'm gonna take some notes and custom fit each one of you. So it's like, wives, come in here. This, this is gonna look awesome on you. Husbands, come in here. This right here, this item of clothing, this is the one that's gonna make everything pop. Children, if you just wear this, don't worry about anything else, really, pretty much just wear this one thing and God will be super happy, he'll be beaming and, and you'll be a witness. Parents, wear this, this one thing and we're gonna see those one things. So, hopefully I've, I've set it up well enough to help you understand what is going on here versus what's not going on here. And that does bring us then to the actual exposition, I guess, of the, the wives. Submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I love that. You see the fitting? Again, it's like, this looks great on you. Now, on our Tuesday morning meeting, uh, some of the guys get together and we look through the text and stuff and we look through these verses, you know, verse 18, and the guys are like, good luck with that. One of the things that came up, which was, I think was really helpful, is the understanding that women, you, wives, you're never, and I get it, it doesn't, it, it's never really going to mean the same for me to teach you this text as it is for you to hear from women, right? The, the, the scripture is exactly the same and perfectly right, but some things are easier to hear from somebody who actually understands what's going on, right? I can tell you for sure I have never had to submit to a husband, <laughs> right? So we, we got to thinking and we're praying and um, a, a great idea came out of the blue, no, actually it was from my wife, about hey, maybe we should let some of the, the ladies uh, talk and kind of give their perspective and, and uh, give some maybe testimony, that kind of thing. So we're going to spend a few minutes doing that. I do want to say that all of these examples, the, the ladies that are going to share with you, they're, they're chosen for, for quite a few reasons, but, but the biggest one for me is that I respect them immensely. And what's awesome is, as I started to look at it, every one of these ladies that's going to share with you is a leader, truly a leader. Uh, we have community leaders, we have uh, career leaders, we have leaders within the church. So anything that they say to you, I don't think there's any way that you could misconstrue it as, oh, well, they're just buying into the doormat uh, theology, because it's just not true. So I, I wanted to start with um, Lee Owen. I'm going to have her come up and, and share a little bit. She, I think she's going to talk about um, kind of how we maybe misunderstand that word submit, uh, and I wanted to say as she's coming up, again, the, the folks that are going to talk to you are leaders. And Lee is probably one of the most amazing examples I can think of because as I'm typing it out in the email, hey, would you guys consider doing this? I'm like, she's on the board of Habitat for Humanity here in our community, right? So she's definitely a leader. So um, Lee, would you come up and, and share with us your, your thoughts? Thank you. Yeah, you can clap for her. It's okay. My husband's on soundboard, so I will be subject to some editing. <laughs> I don't know if any of you can ever relate to this, but if you've been involved in a volunteer organization or even a job or a project and you've worked around people, more than one person thinks they're ultimately in charge, it becomes a real problem and sometimes a nightmare. And I still have bad memories of a few of those examples, and I'm not going to go there. But my point being that the most successful endeavors, whether they're you know a team, 
um, an athlete, a company, they have one leader ultimately who is responsible for the failure or success of that organization, and it comes down to leadership. God designed marriage the same way. He says in Scripture, men and women, he views equally. He says in Scripture, we have different roles, but those roles are of equal value to him. But ultimately, somebody's got to be in charge. Somebody's got to be the responsible party. And so in the marriage relationship, it's the husband. And as wives, we are to submit to that leadership. Well, the S word. (laughs) Because culturally... It's like nails on a blackboard, and it conjures up a lot of negative words. Now, I'm a word geek. Some of you know that, so I went to the dictionary, and I know I've been a Christian a while, so I know there's the biblical definition, and then there's our definition, and our definition is submission, or to submit means weakness. It means giving up. If you look at some of the synonyms, like capitulate or succumb, it's all about, and it says it in the Merriam-Webster online dictionary, it uses the terms you against an opposing force. You're giving in, you're giving up, whatever. And it's all about your detriment, you're the loser. Well, that can't be what God means when he uses the word submit, when he's already said men and women are of equal value, their roles are of equal value, so what gives? The issue is that we need to let go of our worldly definition and say, well, what did God mean? So in the Greek, the word submit carries the connotation, I wanna get this right, It's properly viewed as under God's arrangement. It's an organizational structure. Biblically, my husband is the manager of the household. He has the ultimate authority, and he is responsible before the Lord for making decisions that are in my best interest and in the best interest of the marriage. And so that's like a real mind mind blown. Uh, For me, I'm a creative person. I am continually coming up with ideas of things I want to try, businesses I want to start, whatever, volunteers, things that I want to sign him up for too. (laughs) Microphone just got cut off. (laughs) Uh, So I've learned that I, I can overcommit, I can get unrealistic in how much time or how much money or whatever it's going to take. And so sitting down with him and talking through these things, I get a completely different view and I sanity test myself. And I, and I can keep myself out of trouble and out of frustration. And I trust him to make decisions that are in my best interest and in the best interest of our household. And so if he is not on board, I just don't pursue that. And I figure if God is ready for me to do that at some point, he's going to open those doors and it's going to happen. So ultimately, submission is, is acknowledging his management responsibility before the Lord. And guys, he's getting to you in terms of your responsibility to your upline manager, which happens to be the big guy. Uh, So the best decisions really are made in unity with my husband and ultimately in unity with God's word. And that includes that crazy S word, which doesn't mean what everybody else out there thinks it does. So go ahead and blow somebody's mind tomorrow with with that truth and see what happens. All right, next up, we're going to have Sherry White. You can make your way up here. So Sherry has led our children's ministry. And um, Sherry and John are going to be getting our special needs thing just in a couple hours. Woohoo! And just again, to further remind you that we're not talking about doormats here. What's the martial art that you're. Judo. Judo. Okay? All right. Just saying. That's going to come way down. Oh, I didn't bring my reading glasses. Okay. Well, I looked this up in the God's Word translation because I wanted to have a an easier definition of it, and it says, wives, place yourselves under your husband's authority. This is appropriate behavior for the Lord's people. And I thought that placing myself under my husband's authority was a better way of expressing submission. Now, don't get the idea that I'm up here talking about submitting and I'm some kind of poster child for submission, uh, because I'm not. I don't do it perfectly, but over the years, God has shown me that this is the best way. First of all, when my husband's in authority, then he's the one who's accountable to God, so I don't have to worry about everything. I just have to trust him and trust God, and I can kind of relax about things because they aren't on my shoulders. For years, I was a single mom, and everything was on my shoulders, and it's a very heavy burden to bear. And, um, but it's really nice to have somebody else bear the load. And of course, for a control freak like me, that can be a challenge, but it's not impossible one for God 
And ultimately, it's really freeing. Okay. So the first part, and I do this more like a testimony. The first part's easy to share because it happened years ago, and I already know the outcome. John and I had been married a couple of years, and I was a pretty young believer, and he was a more of a veteran. And we'd survived a big hurricane in South Florida, and we'd been two weeks without power, and I was eight months pregnant. Fun times. <laughs> Uh, he started saying that he felt we were called, being called to move to Central Florida. Now, it was actually something I wanted to do. I wanted to move here, but, you know, having a, being pregnant and just all the logistics seemed like it was too hard, finding a job and doing all that stuff. I just didn't have it in me. So I wasn't so sure. We prayed about it more. Um, he was more and more certain that we should move here. I wasn't so sure, and I hadn't heard anything from God, and I didn't have peace and by this time, I had an infant who never slept, so I really never had any kind of peace. It came down to me having to trust John that he had heard from God and that God would make a way if he wanted us to come up here. It wasn't my responsibility. I was very weary from the baby, and I was very emotional, and I really could have easily fought against it um, to have my way. Um, nothing was planned out, and I'm a, people that know me know I'm a checklist person. I'm a planner. <laughs> So there was no plan, but I just took the sweet role of putting myself under my husband's authority, and you know what happened? Not a disaster. We weren't homeless. We weren't in poverty. He found a job here. We packed all our stuff into a big trailer, put it in storage, which is a theme of our life, you'll see, um, and we stayed, with a <laughs> we stayed with a friend for a couple of weeks, and uh, in about two weeks, we had a place to live. You know, he had the job. We had a place to live. And about eight months later, we found this church. And God was always in control, as usual. I was safe following my husband while he followed God. Being such a young believer, it was a really good lesson for me in learning to follow God. And watching my husband's trust and rest in the Lord helped me learn to trust and rest in Christ even more. Now, the second part is in process, so I don't know how it's going to turn out. I mean, it's just happening life. So it's a little hard to share. Um, and I cleared it with my husband. So He and I don't always agree on what's valuable stuff, uh, what we need to keep and what we need to throw away <laughs> or give away. Since the beginning of our marriage, we've always had a storage unit to keep that valuable stuff because I don't want clutter in the house. For years, I campaigned heavily to get rid of things, but he wasn't having it. I would have this dream of burning down the storage unit, <laughs> but that was just my dream. And I wouldn't actually get rid of anything without approval because we're a team and I'm living by Colossians 3.18. <laughs> I spent many actual hours of misery over this stuff because I feel like it's a waste of money, time, space, and I especially don't like clutter. But John has the idea that these things will be valuable in the future. And, okay, he has an example of this. His own father also keeps a lot of things, and he's now financing his retirement with the proceeds. So, I mean, he has that example, and I have to see that example too. So over the past few years, I have mostly been able to trust God that he also speaks to John, that John answers to him, and I can leave this issue between the two of them. Now I can trust God, and I know that John follows him, so I can just relax. See, I'm still a work in progress, so you guys keep praying for me, okay? Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Sherry. One of the things, um, so I actually asked five ladies, and um, two of them couldn't be here. Uh, Robin, because she's uh, teaching in the, in the children's ministry. And I think we're going to get to hers. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to get to um, Susan's. It'll depend on how much time we have here. Um, but Susan's and Sherry's are similar because um, both of them basically didn't really want to move here. Um, she from Canada and, and Sherry from uh, down south. And I'm just struck because one of the things I'm hoping to convince you of by the time we're done here is that submission saves. And think about... You know who Susan Jass is, right? Runner of the uh, pantry. I think our, our best all together uh, outreach to 
to folks to show them the love of Jesus. And Sherry, who's basically um, up until she handed off to Robin, uh, single-handedly, uh, not single-handedly, but with, with lots of helpers, led our, our children's ministry, which is really the most efficient uh, disciple-making uh, machine that we have. So um, think about what would have happened if they didn't submit, right? Think about um, what wouldn't have happened here, particularly uh, lives being changed and stuff uh, through submission. And I'm hoping to convince you of that later, but I got one more example for you. Chris Hocus is going to come up. She um, is a pediatric nurse practitioner. Did I get it right? She's a medical professional. She um, started her own business and um, She's like everybody knows her in the community, um, and she's going to tell you her, her story. <laughs> so Dana and I were married in uh, 1997, and uh, um, we didn't always have the healthiest of our relationship, and those, I'm not going to cry, <laughs> um, in those first years. And uh, part of that was there was a lot of loss of pregnancies, infertility, all of that. Pray. <laughs> um, so, you know, my eyes were always on this marriage that was not that healthy. And we would fight and argue and whatever. And uh, so, but when m- my daughter was born, I really kind of thought, you know, I mean, I remember literally having this conversation with myself. It's like, eh, I got my daughter whatever happens, happens. We're happy. We'll just live this way. I got my kid. I'm good. (laughs) Um, And I really was pretty happy at the way that our life was set up right then. And, but while I was pregnant with my daughter, my husband had changed jobs and he was miserable and he's never miserable. Even when he's, I'm looking at what you should be miserable. He's never miserable. So it was so miserable that he applied for a job on the opposite side of the country, just as a fluke. But in three weeks' time, he had applied for the job. They had called him for an interview. I had said, I don't want to do this. He had gotten the job, and he was gone. And it was just that fast. The whole time, I'm saying, "Uh -uh." uh-uh. My daughter had a lot of medical issues, so this left me living in a 100-year-old house by myself here in Florida. And I did talk to him this week. I'm like, you cool with me talking about this? So... The, we, the idea was this house was going to sell fast. We would go. The whole time I'm saying, I'm not comfortable with this. I don't have peace about this. I don't think we should do this. Um, he leaves. The house gets hit by a hurricane. The house gets hit by a second hurricane. During the first hurricane, I had to call him at 2 o'clock in the morning and saying there's water pouring into a bathroom. And in the years leading up to this, I always had this feeling like, what would I ever do if we weren't married anymore? How could I ever take care of myself? How could I ever live without him? How could I ever? But in these six months that it took to sell our house, unfortunately, I learned that I could take care of myself. And so this became a greater temptation of, I believe it is wrong for us to leave. My daughter has these medical issues that need to be addressed here. And everything in me says, we are to be here. Um, as beautiful as it is out there, we're to be here. Well, he would come home every week, then every other week. Then he said, I'll see you at Thanksgiving. I'll see you at Christmas. Um, and I'm raising Anna Grace by myself. And it had become a thing that he would be gone so long that when he would come home, I realized that Anna Grace and I had started a routine. So now when he does come home, he doesn't fit. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's not how we do things anymore. This is how we do things now. So it became this huge thing of we're living in these two separate lives. Um, we finally did get an offer on the house. I said, don't take it. I didn't want to take the offer on the house. He said, we need to take the offer on the house. And he, uh, he signed it. And the house sold. Um, and on February 2nd of 2006, um, we were to fly to Seattle and leave. And uh, in the days before that, multiple supernatural things would happen that to me seemed like we were supposed to stay here, such as the moving truck getting stuck in the yard for several hours where it couldn't move. And I'm looking, I'm like, see? <laughs> and I kept having these conversations with myself of, do I stay here? Do I, do I pull Anna Grace and I's stuff off the truck? What do I do? Our marriage is a mess. What do I do? And... It came to a point in the middle of the night before we got on the plane 
that I felt like the Lord was like, if you stay here, what you wanted most of all, which is marriage to be healthy, it's done. If you go, there's a chance that it's not. But it's only a chance. And I got on the plane. And I would love to tell you that it was a joyous flight to Seattle, but it was silent. (laughs) I flew to Seattle. I moved into a house that we had purchased that I had never seen. I trusted my husband, and I went. And within a few weeks, he said, you want to go home, don't you? Yeah, I want to go home. And everything was not perfect for a long time. Well, heck, it's not perfect now. (laughs) Um, But while being in Seattle, I got to watch the Lord miraculously heal my daughter. I got to see the Lord do one complete and total miracle after another in our lives. And how he miraculously brought us back home, working for the exact same company that he went out there. When he just walked in and said, hey, can I work from home in Florida? And he called me on the phone and they said, they said yes. And it was a bunch of years of repairing and working and doing really hard and frankly ugly work on our marriage. But one thing he has said to me early on during the, that time was that everything changed to him for him the day I got on that plane. So you asked me to pray. I pray that you wouldn't do the ugly cry. <laughs> did pretty good, pretty good. Whew, all right. Um, so hopefully you're already seeing that when we, when we trust God, right? This is all about trusting God, um, all of our roles. Um, when we do what, what God is telling us to do, it's about us and him. It's really not about us and that, that other person. Um, so let's, let's move on to uh, verse 19 where it says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter or harsh toward them. If the word for, for wives is, the S word is submit, the, the word for husbands, the S word should be sacrifice. Sacrificial, because that word love, it doesn't, again, another problem with the culture. We see the word love and we think that means have, you know, fuzzy feelings toward them or, you know, buy them chocolates, um, those kind of things. And, and those aren't necessarily excluded. Not chocolate, yeah, okay. Um, but, but the word means it's agape, right? And that's, that's God's kind of love, sacrificial love, the, the, the love that gives when you're getting nothing in return. The, the love that lays everything down when there's supposedly nothing to be gained. Husbands, that's your word. Your word is sacrifice. It's love in such a way and so completely that if she never comes around or, or changes that you, you single-handedly need to make that relationship work, make it strong, make it beautiful. And, and your example, of course, is Christ, right? Husbands, love your wives sacrificially, right? Um, so again, I, I don't know, maybe I'm, I figured out a way to not have to have you guys hear me as much, but um, wanted to sh- share Robin's, and, and Robin originally did the, the video uh, to, to kind of, uh, of course, accentuate the, the idea of, of submission and how it's, you know, it turns out that even, even when things don't look like they're going to turn out, uh, that God works it out. But in the midst of it, I don't even know if she had planned it, she kind of, um, kind of, what's the word? She spoke, to, she spoke well of Gerald, her husband, and um, I thought, you know what, this is a, a way we can, uh, we can talk about how husbands should treat their wives as well. So, you got that one? All right. See, you guys hardly have to hear me at all today. Hi, I'm Robin. 
Um, if you don't know my husband, Gerald, he is the handsome white-haired guy with the black rimmed glasses somewhere in the church, probably right there this morning. Hi, honey. Um, we've been married for 22 years, and I'm going to share a very recent example of a time when I was hesitant to but did follow my husband's lead, and God worked it out, and he is still working this one out. About two years ago, Gerald was laid off from his job at the Orlando airport, and as you can imagine, after about four months, we were a bit anxious about the future. I was anxious. Was um, then one day, Gerald tells me about an opportunity to try something he's never done before, and about which I was initially horrified. Car sales. Yes. I wanted to be supportive, so I went along with the idea, but inside I was like, no, no, you can't just at this time just go and try something new. This isn't the time to do that and work on commission. You've got to just go get a job, get a job. And I was scared and just not thrilled at all. And wait, car sales? I just not had a good experience with those guys in the past. So I just, I was freaking out quite a bit. Um, so I went to God about it. Lots of prayer. Um, and God worked repentance, of course, in my heart and peace. Um, but first I had to repent of my selfishness, um, of my worry, my prejudice toward car salesmen, um, my fear for the future. And then the Lord began to remind me of many things about Gerald, the husband he gave me. Gerald's always worked crazy hours, doing a stressful job that he didn't particularly like, all to support his family. And on top of that, he does so much for us, for me. See, when we first got married, we've we've always both worked full-time. Um, in the beginning, he was home from work much earlier in the day, so he decided he would be the one to cook dinner. Well, fair enough, right? Ooh. Well, he still does that. Um, he also hands me my breakfast and lunch as I walk out the door at 6.30 every morning. I've never asked him to do that. He just does it. Um, and does it well, I might add. Um, I'm so spoiled. He insists on doing his own laundry and ironing, and along with all the other dirty jobs that husbands tend to do, you know, the trash and the mowing and all that good stuff, and he puts up with a lot of crazy to live here with me. Um, the point is, God reminded me that he gave me a husband who did and still does all of these things that I mentioned because he loves me sacrificially. He is not going to make a frivolous decision when it comes to our household. I can trust him. He's constantly thinking of ways to bless me. He would do anything for me, even sell cars. So I can let go of fear and we can trust the Lord together through this. And it, as it turns out, he is a natural at sales. And God has used some challenging experiences with one employer to strengthen and lead him as he works with integrity in that particular world. Um, so God is working all things for our good, and we're both learning more fully how to submit to him. So stay tuned. Yay! All the husbands are like, Gerald, come on, man, making us look bad. <laughs> Paul's been talking about clothes to wear, right? Brings, Taylor brings in the wives and he says, look, might not be easy, but this is what looks awesome on you, right? Trusting him, letting him take the lead. Brings the husbands in and says, might not be easy, but this is what's gonna look awesome on you. Sacrifice, sacrificial love, doing way more than she would ever ask you to do. And again, you might even at some point have, have your wife say something nice about you in front of the whole church, just like that. There he is. He's hiding from the men. <laughs> All the women are like, he's awesome. All right, hey, that brings us to uh, children, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. This is what looks good on you, kids. So if, if for wives the S word is submit and for, for 
Husbands, it's sacrifice. Kids, for you, it's obedience. Basically, in one way, we should really be grateful and, and look at these words and go, wow, Paul has really boiled it down for us, right, in our specific roles within the family, right? Um, the word obedience is funny because the, the word itself literally means to listen, to hearken. It's like the porter at the door, right, the, the servant who listens for the, for the knock of the door. So the one thing that uh, the kids probably least like to do right, which is listen, right, uh, they're doing whatever they might be doing, the, the one and only requirement for, for kids to wear it well is obedience, to listen and then obey. Now, the, the same caveats, I, I probably should say this just out loud, the same caveats apply as, as do uh, wives sub- submitting to husbands, right? You're, Children, you're not required to uh, submit to something that your parents might say that would be expressly against what the Lord would have you do, right? Um, Unfortunately, in our broken world, there are times when that needs to be said. But in general, and I sure hope here, that God has given you parents who love you and they love him. And they take their responsibility very seriously to lead you, to, to look to the future for you. Which actually leads us to verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Notice it's, it's mentioned to the fathers, but I think we can agree that, that this would include mothers. I think, again, fathers are on the, more on the hot seat with God concerning these things. But especially, again, in, in our, our world, my mom was a single mom, right? So, uh, like it or not, this verse applied to her um, when in the absence of my dad. But, but it says, fathers, do not provoke your children. The, the word provoke there means to, to needle, to, um, to poke at, right? Um, now, don't misunderstand, this doesn't mean... Fathers don't set, set goals or encourage your, your, your children to, to greater things. But this is talking about a destructive uh, needling, maybe is the best way to, to say it. And notice, notice why. It says, lest they become discouraged. So Paul and the Holy Spirit are talking to parents, saying, look, you know what would look really great on you? Is to have your kids, even when they fail, be encouraged. For, ha- for your kids to have that, that space to make mistakes and to, to not feel like you're, you're going to come down on them, going to crush them every single time. I think Paul is speaking to the, the, the parents and particularly the fathers, maybe who are never satisfied. Because the reason says, uh, the, the the reason that the Holy Spirit gives here is that lest they become discouraged. And, and if you look up the, the, the definition of that, it's talking about someone whose the fire has gone out of them. The Holy Spirit is saying to fathers in this role, remember the tailors coming in and going, okay, this is what looks good on you, this is what looks good on you. Parents, fathers in particular, what looks good on you is to encourage your children. You still have to discipline them, of course. But everything that you say should be looking toward their future and expressing your, not only your love for them, but, but your hope, your, the, the fact that you see their future and you know that God is going to use them and, and do it well. So I don't know if that makes sense, but want to now kind of move into um, the application time. Do you have those, those last four, four slides for me? So this is kind of a a way to break it down. Excuse me. We've we've only got four verses and it's pretty simple, right? So now really what it comes to is, am I actually going to do anything with this? Or am I just going to go, well, that was a fairly nice apologetic for submission or for sacrificial love. The Bible says, and, and Jesus says in particular, if you hear my words, but you don't do them, you're like a person building his house on sand, Right? 
And when the storms come, and they will come, your house will fall in on itself. But if you hear my words and you actually do something with them, you actually respond to them, then when those same storms come, your, your house will be strong, your, your, your life, you'll, you'll be setting your, your life on, on a good foundation. So I've got four slides uh, for each of the different roles that we might find ourselves in a, in a family. The first one, of course, is two wives because of verse 18. The reasons, that, uh, reasons to respond to these verses, wives, the reason that you should respond to verse 18 is this, that Jesus saved the world by submitting to an equal. If you don't believe me, you can turn to Philippians 2. I was going to have you turn there, but we're, we're running close on time. Most of you know what Philippians 2 says, right? That Jesus, who did not consider robbery to be equal with God, in other words, Jesus is equal with God, if at any point you, you would stop me and say, oh, wait a second, Jesus is not equal with God, we're like, nope, you're a heretic. <laughs> Jesus is equal with God the Father, correct? But Philippians 2 says that he chose to submit. He chose to lower himself in the, the uh, order of things, I guess. Philippians 2 is amazing because it says, um, he did not consider Robert to be equal to God, but he humbled himself, became a man. Then he humbled himself some more and became a servant, right? Then he humbled himself all the way to the point of death, and that death was the death of the cross, the, the most ignominious, the worst possible death that anyone could suffer. So do you see what I'm saying? Wives, the thing that, that God is calling you to, save the world. It saved the world. Jesus submitting to an equal, right? Husbands, reason that you should want to respond to these verses is that Jesus sanctified his bride, the church, through sacrifice. Again, you can turn there or write it down maybe and look it up later. Ephesians 5, 25 and 27 basically says, again, it's in that parallel section. Um, Ephesians actually is, is probably more comforting to the, to the wives because this is just like bullet points and the, the worst one comes to the wife, right? But in Ephesians... Basically, he, he starts with the, the, that whole S word again for, for wives, but then he starts to lay out what the husband needs to do, and it's like, it's impressive because he spends a lot of time talking to husbands going, look, you need to sacrifice. And he says, um, loving your wife as Christ also loved the church and um, gave himself for her. Husbands, how much did Christ love the church? Enough to die for it, for you. Sacrifice. And it's cool because then it goes on to say that washing uh, her through the water of the word so that he could present himself to her a beautiful, uh, spotless bride. Husbands. Jesus sanctified. He's in the midst of sanctifying us right now through this quality called sacrificial love. Make sense? Yeah? I'm reminded about teams, the, the best teams. If you, if you ask the coach, they'll say, or, or the, the players actually, after they win the championship, a lot of times they'll say, you know what really happened this year? We all bought in. We, we bought into what the, the central philosophy of the coach or, or whomever it might be. Y'all, if we all actually buy into what, what God is saying to the, the different people in the family, this is an awesome family that anybody would want to live in, okay? Next, reasons to respond to these verses for children. Children, raise your hand if you're, if you're uh, yeah, good. Jesus saved sinners through obedience. You might look and, and you're thinking, well, yeah, but it sounds so tired, you know, that obey your parents thing. But wait a second. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, Father, if there's any other way to do this to save the world, um, let's do it. But he, then he said, but not, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What is that? That's obedience, right? So the thing that you're called to, kids, is a noble and awesome thing that Jesus saved the world through. Obedience 
to his parents, even to, to, to his father, even when it wasn't convenient, even when it was the, the last thing that he wanted to do. Okay, and then finally, parents. Jesus changed the world by sending out failures on fire. <laughs> like, what? What does that mean? Well, I had a harder time maybe crystallizing this, but Matthew 12, 20 is the verse where it says that um, he would not quench a, a, a smoking flax. You're like, that doesn't help me at all. <laughs> it, it, was, it was basically um, this, I guess flax is a, an herb or something, right? It's a what? Fiber. A fiber, okay, yeah. And so basically it's like a wick that's almost just barely going out. It's just smoke. There's, you don't see any flame, right? And the idea is um, that instead of the easiest thing to do would be like, right? Jesus is like, hold on. And he fans this thing into flame. Now, is that Jesus or what? Because that's exactly what he did with all of his disciples, right? There were even times when he even said the things that we would normally say, which is, how long must I put up with this? <laughs> right? And you see Peter thinking that he's, he's got the world by the tail. It's like, I'm never going to fail you. And Peter completely blows it. And we, we actually have, and there's probably many instances of things that we, don't, we never do see, but I think the Holy Spirit specifically included Jesus reinstating Peter, right? Saying, you know, he, he denied him three times, say, hey, I'm, I'm gonna get you to say that you love me three times, right? Or I'm gonna ask you if you love me three times. He's basically refusing to give up on a smoking flax. Do you get it? Parents. That's the way we need to look at our kids. When they blow it, when, when they think that they're gonna do something awesome and, and they're completely wrong, lest they be discouraged. The, the opposite is what we should be doing, which is basically, you got this, you got this, right? Our job as parents is to see the future and see what God can and wants to do through sometimes failures, through sometimes smoking flaxes, okay? All right, I think that's all I got. Let's, um, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for these, your people, I thank you for your word. Even and especially in awkward things like this, Lord, I, I hope that you've been pleased because again, Lord, um, what really matters is that, that you can look upon what we've said or what's been said here from the pulpit and uh, in your word and by testimony or that you can look and be well pleased. That's our desire, Lord, is to to lift you up, to, to elevate you. And your word says that when we do, that you'll draw men to yourselves and they'll be saved. So Lord, even on these next few minutes, would you uh, guard our conversation, help us to encourage one another, help us to pray for one another. And, um, and Lord, if, if you're willing, maybe even uh, grant someone salvation or grant them uh, life. Bring old dead bones, Lord, to life. In Jesus' name. Amen.